1: Hey, 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 we're back. We're black. We're brown, but extra brown because Mandy's here. You know, Mandy's only half brown. Anyway, ambition, 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 ambition. No shade to you, Mandy, but you know. (laughs) Welcome back to Brown Ambition. I am cutting up, which means that Mandra is not here. She might be having her baby. She might not. Who knows, Mandy? Mandy might be changing the oil on her car. Y'all know how Mandy does. She don't sit and she don't rest. But baby number two is on his way. And so that means Auntie Tiffany is in the stew, but not by herself. I'm in the stew with a guest today. Let me introduce this. I was looking at this guest, like a little mini buyer. I was like, well, damn, coming to the room. So our new guest today has a um, a book called um, For the Culture. It's been endorsed by the CEO of McDonald's, boom, Reddit, boom, Delta, boom, Home Depot, boom, and many more major companies. But bigger than that, y'all, he's run social media strategy for the B of Yon of the Say. Okay. For many years. Queen Bee, child. All the rest of that stuff. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. CEOs of all these billion dollar corporations. We don't care about that. We care about Beyonce, around these parts. <laughs> it's like, we care about it all. But how amazing is that? His name is Marcus Collins. And he's here to talk to us today about like culture. And what do we, why do we do the way we do? what we do, why do we navigate the way we navigate, how does that affect our finances? Um, and about his book. And so I'm super excited to welcome Marcus into the studio. Hey Marcus.
2: What's happening? I'm so glad to be here.
1: <laughs> Thank you for coming. So Marcus, first of all, let's get down to the nitty-gritty. What was it like working for Beyonce?
2: <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome. It was all I mean she, you know, I worked at her I worked with her at a time before she was Queen B. She was still, you know, Beyonce, though iconic. Um, And I feel like in those moments, you get to see a rare thing where someone elevates and transcends Mm -hmm. into something Mm otherworldly. And to be able to work with her, and she's just so lovely and so Mm -hmm. amazing, Uh, beyond her talent, she's just a really good human being. Mm -hmm. I felt very fortunate to have a front row ticket to seeing her uh, transcend to queendom.
1: Wow, that's awesome, honestly. Mandy and I, We have tickets to go see her, you know, next
2: month. Okay.
1: Um, Look at Mandy. She's just going to drop the baby and just come on to the concert, but whatever. (laughs) She knew what it was when she got them tickets.
2: Priorities, priorities.
1: (laughs) So um, one, how did you like get into this line of work? Um, So what would you say that you do if you had to, like, I call myself a financial educator. Like, what Mm -hmm. would you call yourself?
2: I think of myself as uh, a cultural translator. Mm -hmm. And I do so in an effort to help people realize the best version of themselves. Okay. Whether I'm in the classroom as a professor, which mm-hmm. I am at the Ross School of Business, University of Michigan, mm-hmm. or an advertiser, which I am at the head of strategy at Wyden Kennedy in New York, mm-hmm. um, or rather I'm on stages. I mean, ultimately, I'm leveraging the power of culture, translating it from one entity to another, okay. and, and, back, and back again to help marketers be better versions of themselves, help students be better versions of themselves, and help individuals be better versions of themselves.
1: Okay. Okay. Oh, that's awesome. So, I guess what does that? What does that? So I know for Beyonce, it looked like you know you did her social media strategy. But what does that look like? So much so that the CEO of McDonald's and Reddit and Delta, like, what does that look like when you're working with those type of organizations?
2: So as a strategist working with these companies, I'm helping them see the world through cultural lenses, right? Realizing that the world around us is not objective; it's subjective. Mm -hmm. That is, we see the world through. Uh, The meaning frames that we have, the beliefs that we hold, the artifacts that are are meaningful, the ideologies, stories we tell ourselves help us translate the world, which is why for some a cow is leather, for Mm. others it's a deity, and for some it's dinner. But which Mm. one is it? It's all of them based on their cultural subscription. So for brands, I help them see the world through other people's lenses, help them understand how people make meaning of the world around them and how their brands are translated through these lenses so that when our when these brands are communicating to consumers, they get a better understanding of how people see the world and how they're translating the world.
1: I understand. So, So for example, I remember the first time that Ford, it was maybe like hmm, six, seven years ago, they reached out to me to like partner with me because they were like, we're gonna be at Essence Fest. And I was like, Ford? Essence Fest yeah. Cause you know Ford is That's the white boy car You know Like <laughs> And so my little Spice ass was like Oh y'all done sold To all the white boys already Ain't nobody left To buy this truck So you need I mean, to Mosey it- on over To see us sisters Over here <laughs>
2: What's so interesting is that even the way you translate it that Ford is the white boy truck uh-huh. before in, 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 it inherently isn't that we just yes. give it that meaning yes. because of how we see the brand. Yes. Right. And it's and it's helping brands navigate the meaning that people associate to them uh-huh. so that people like you who go to Essence that are like, oh, this brand is for me, right? So when I pull up in my Ford, people aren't like, Tiffany, what are you doing driving a Ford? (laughs) Instead they're like, oh yeah, of course you would drive a Ford because of who you are. That congruence between what the brand wants to mean Mm -hmm. and actually mean the minds of people is extremely powerful, especially when we want people to buy the same thing goes. We want people to vote the same thing goes. We want people to subscribe the same thing goes. We want people uh, to join our church. I mean, all of these things, which I argue in the book, They're all driven to get people to adopt behavior. Ultimately, that's what we're after, behavioral Mm. adoption. Um, And the truth is there's no force, no external force, more influential to human behavior than culture. Mm. And the more likely we are to tap into it, the more likely we are to get people to move.
1: So is that why you wrote for the culture? Because you wanted to kind of like share that like nothing is happening coincidentally that people are shifting and moving and and adopting new ways and new behaviors based upon these external forces and internal like desires like can we tap into those things intentionally like what's the intention of the book what do you hope people get
2: that's spot on i mean essentially as a marketer as the field that i work in we often use words like let's get our idea out into culture and let's make sure our our idea is informed by culture or What's going on in culture? Culture, 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 culture. And even people say things like, I'm doing it for my culture, mm-hmm. or I'm doing it for the culture, right? Which is why I call the book the way I called it. Um, but if you ask five people to define culture, you get 35 different answers. Mm-hmm. And that's our problem, mm-hmm. right? Because we can't define a thing concretely. How do we ever leverage, fully leverage, uh, the sway, the power that culture has. So I wrote the book to unpack this for practitioners so you get a better understanding of what culture is, have a better Rosetta Stone to talk about it and therefore be able to operationalize it. But then as I was writing the book, I started to I. To identify that there are some personal reasons at play here mm-hmm. as well, right? So I'm born and raised in Detroit, um, I and I D? had a—that's right. What up, though? And I had a <laughs> penchant for math and science as a kid, right? And in those days, if you did well in math and science and you were black, oh, you're going to be an engineer, full stop. Mm-hmm. So that's what I went to study because I thought that that's what I was supposed to do. But once I got into school, I realized I don't think I want to do this. Mm-hmm. My parents were like, "Well." Just wait till you finish your, wait till you get through your, um, get through your core courses. After your first year, you'll love it. And I go, okay. My mom's an academic. And I go, all right, great. You know, mom, dad, I trust you. So I go into my second year and I go, oh, I definitely don't want to do this. Right. You know, I thought it was interesting, but I wasn't. I wasn't excited about it. I didn't want to do it for the rest of my life. So I took some music theory courses to offset my terrible GPA, and I fell in love with major sevens. I was Mm -hmm. like, oh, I want to be a songwriter. And I went home that summer and said, mom and dad, I know I want to do for the rest of my life. I want to be a songwriter. They were like, oh, no, you don't. (laughs) That is not happening, fam. No, no, you don't want to do that. Uh, So I finished my degree in engineering begrudgingly. And as soon as I graduated, I went right into the music industry. And what I realized, some 20 odd years later, is that I didn't have the language to describe what I was experiencing. What I was experiencing were the cultural forces that dictate, mandate in some ways, what's acceptable behavior for people like us. Mm. And for people like me, and for many of us who look like us, Mm -hmm. Tiffany, um, is that if you want to be successful, you pursue certain career Mm -hmm. trajectories. If you do well in math and science, then you're either gonna be an engineer, Or a doctor. Like Mm -hmm. that's just what you do. And anything outside of that is unacceptable. Mm -hmm. Anything outside of that is frowned upon. And this is really what culture is. Culture is this system of conventions and expectations that's acceptable behavior, acceptable uh, 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 trajectories for people like us. And Mm -hmm. as a result, we take on those behaviors we do those Mm -hmm. things and because i didn't have the language to describe what was happening to me i didn't have a lot of agency to navigate through it all i had was that my parents is tripping right Mm -hmm. but what was really happening is that my parents themselves were adhering to the cultural forces of what good parents are supposed to do you're supposed to push your children towards things that are going to be potentially the most beneficial for them even if it's not what they want Mm -hmm. Right. And we're all being influenced by these forces that tells us what it means to be normal. And I thought that this book would help not only practitioners be better at their jobs and getting people to adopt behavior, Mm -hmm. but also help us individual citizens navigating this cultural world that we live in, navigate these forces that tells us what people like us ought to do.
0: Hey, BA fam! this episode is sponsored by State Farm. All right, BA fam, y'all know when it comes to financial advice, you have to trust your source. That's why you listen to Brown Ambition, right? And when I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. I've been a longtime fan of NerdWallet. In fact, I almost worked there a couple of times because when it comes to financial experts and writing, they really know how to give you the best reviews of financial products. I honestly wouldn't sign up for a credit card today if I hadn't looked at a review on a site like NerdWallet myself. And honestly, if y'all haven't learned about NerdWallet, you're missing out. And with their help, what could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? to figure out how to put their money in the market and set it and forget it and be at peace with that because you know Betterment has got you covered with their automated investment and savings app. Their technology is going to give you advanced tools that are built to help you maximize those returns. All you got to do is visit Betterment.com to get started. Learn more about high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk, performance not guaranteed. Cash reserve offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Security securities. Betterment is not a bank.
1: Hey, debit card users, listen up. Discover has something especially for you. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can start earning cash back on everyday debit card purchases. You heard that right. Cashback on debit purchases because cash back isn't just for credit cards. It's time you also get some love. Oh, And I should also mention that this has no fees, period. Finally, the game-changing checking account you deserve. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover bank member FDIC. Well, what would you say as being, I'm assuming you're a black man. I mean, you never know. I'm a black
0: man, (laughs)
2: You know? I self I self-identify yes as a <laughs> black man and right. I do have melanin in my skin. I <laughs> well. mean, right? Because like, uh, so what we
1: like being in this industry and like we're just shifting gears toward like what what you've seen culturally, what has become the norm for what you'd say for Black Americans and the way we navigate our finances. Like, what has been the norm, and how can we start to? And has that norm served us well? You know, so what's been the norm? Has that norm served us well? And if you wanted to shift that norm for yep. yourself and say, I actually don't want to adhere to that, what are some things that people can do?
2: Yeah, so you're right. The, the norm has not served us well. Mm-hmm. One, one gentleman by the name of Kanye West, the old Kanye, by the yeah. way, don't judge. <laughs> not the new Kanye. The, <laughs> old Kanye. the old Kanye. You know, he said it in a very, very profound way. And he mm-hmm. said, and i spend 400 bucks on this just to be mm-hmm. like you ain't up on this. Yes. And the idea is that we consume as a way of signaling where we where mm-hmm. we are in the social hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Now, the ch- now the interesting part about that is that that wasn't always the case not mm-hmm. for humanity. So i'm a, i'm a professor so i can't help myself. No, if, we, do it. if if we go back in time okay. uh, for centuries the global gdp was zero. Practically non-existent, which means that people were not entering an exchange. We weren't buying and consuming things. If we were, it was very, very minimal. And we were doing it before for utilita- utilitarian purposes only okay. right for functionality mm-hmm. and that was of course until the 19 until the 16th century where uh, Queen Elizabeth in Elizabeth- Elizabethan England says you know I can use consumption as a means of aggrandizement as a means of power mm-hmm. and here's how it worked in her mind was that royalty had everything they had all the wealth mm-hmm. and the people closest to royalty that was nobility mm-hmm. that they would have a little bit less. And the people way beneath them, the peasants had nothing. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that it will keep royalty in power because they had the most. Mm-hmm. It will force nobility to keep consuming so that they can stay close to, to royalty. And it will keep the people at the bottom, the peasants, looking up, aspiring to be more by consuming more. Mm-hmm. Right. And then Queen Elizabeth could ration out uh, uh commerce or rationale capital to people and they would love her for it because it would help them rise up the social hierarchy. Mm-hmm. You fast forward a couple centuries later, uh, you start seeing a little bit of uptick in e- economics in the in Northern Europe and they started businesses start to make more money. So they paid their employees more money and their employees start to spend more money. So businesses made more money. Employees started making more money. So they spent more money. You start getting this cycle of consumption. It massively explodes during the industrial revolution. Mm-hmm. The same thing goes today. Because the point is that people weren't buying way back in the 16th century they weren't spending or consuming for functional needs they were consuming for psychological and sociological needs as a way of signaling who they are and where they sit in the social hierarchy the same thing goes today Mm -hmm. that we buy we consume as a way of signaling who we are in the world Mm -hmm. and where we sit in the social hierarchy and the further you were down the social totem pole Mm -hmm. The more uh, and the, 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 the more motivated you were to consume as a way to signaling that you weren't at the bottom mm. and you take marginalized communities like people of color, mm-hmm. people like us. We then say that I have to consume as a way to signal who I am okay. and I spend 400 bucks on this just to be like you ain't you up, ain't on, up this. on this. Mm-hmm. Right. So what does that mean for us? that if we know this if we are now aware that these are the forces that are motivating us to consume that they're not with they're not w- they're not within us they're without us there is they're they're pushing on us then we can subvert them by having much more discretion with what we consume or how much we consume of it not to keep up with the joneses as it were mm-hmm. uh, but to signal our understanding of these forces and also create new communities around people who decide not to consume just for the sake of consumption.
1: Yeah, and it's hard, I get it because you know you grow up not having and then you tell yourself one day when i do have i'm going to i want to wear it externally i was watching this um not that i usually get advice from young jock i was like i was shocked i was like oh you know well even a clock is right twice a day
2: so <laughs> yeah listen to kanye we take a kanye advice we could take young jock advice <laughs> right. today, i suppose
1: so young jock surprisingly it was like this youtube clip he said something that I was like this is really profound and i'm, I'm glad he understood he said um that um, this community that he's in of hip hop artists and rappers and things like that, he was like, it took him a while to realize that the things that he was wearing, the, the like the Lamborghini, the whatever, the things he's driving, that it really didn't indicate that he had wealth, that he mm-hmm. has money. He said it indicated that he had money because he's now exchanged it for this thing. He was like, my Lambo, my dress, my my outfit, it's a receipt. That's right. To show I once had hundreds of thousands if not millions of dollars and now I have stuff. That's right. And I just thought that was so like those things are really a receipt of wealth once once. Not that you want to keep money and not do anything with it, but I just thought that that was like um I was really shocked at his insight, you know, and, that and like yeah. he's
2: right. He's spot on. I mean, I I would argue and I do in the book that brands are their the most powerful brands are receipts of identity. Mm. They're ways of signaling to the world who we are. Right, they're badges to say I am this because of the meaning associated to these brands and the economic associations that we have in our minds with those brands. So if you, if I'm driving a Lambo, you're like, oh, that dude's doing it. Mm-hmm. That is, I am higher up the social hierarchy. Thanks to Queen uh, uh, Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. And the irony of this, I suppose, is that the people who have the most, who are most well off, they actually live more innocuous yes. lives. I, i.e., you don't see the labels. You don't see what they're what they what they have, right? Mm-hmm. Like saw so somewhere is like um, uh, they don't wear a, a, a bag, a, a Louis Vuitton bag mm-hmm. um, when they go into uh, a, an event in New York City mm-hmm. because they leave their bag in their driver's car, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's almost the ability to not um, to not ob- um, explicitly show wealth is a sign of wealth, mm. but when you don't. When you don't explicit, when you don't have wealth, at least when you're trying to signal it, you use consumption as a way to do that very thing.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting because there's just been this. I'm sure you've seen on social media. There's this huge debate right now between quiet luxury. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's what everyone's talking about. Like, oh, like quiet luxury is to your point. Like they're like, oh, look at Bill Gates, you know, like don- nondescript khakis and whatever yeah. sweater versus yeah. like Gucci down to the socks, that's you know? Right.
2: That's, right. that's right. And
1: so like there's been this push, but it, there's a lot of classism, you know, like w- like looped into like quiet luxury versus um, I guess what, what you know, uh, Almost like being ghetto fabulous or whatever. Like, what yeah. does that mean? Um, so, what's your take? I mean, have you heard of this quiet luxury movement? And what's your take on what that, like, how that reflects on uh, person identity and, and brand and culture?
2: Yeah, I mean, there's a there's an episode of Succession yes. uh, a week or so ago where a woman in, in the in the show in this in the scene she has like a very flashy bag, mm-hmm. and one of the characters. Um, Uh, One of the main characters in the show goes, look at her, like, what is she doing? Like, come on. Like, if you had wealth, you wouldn't need that bag. Mm -hmm. and That's kind of what, 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 this is the cycle of consumption is happening. This is the, the aggrandizement that that Queen Elizabeth was after that we consume as a way of signaling where we are in a social hierarchy. And we have these, these social and psychological wants to feel like we're part of something to feel like we're, like we're accepted. Right. And therefore, consumption helps us do that very thing. Um, you know, I, I, I go back to Kanye because that song is just so powerful. It all mm-hmm. falls down. He like, You make us hate ourselves and love your wealth. That's yes. why Shorty's asking where the ball is at. Yes. I mean, the idea there is that consumption uh, becomes a way by which we in, ingratiate ourselves into society. Um, and try to find means to raise our our social status Mm -hmm. so that we get more access to things. Uh, But at the same time, when you have it, you don't need to show it. Mm -hmm. Um, So you find, you know, uh, Warren Buffett drives like his same Oldsmobile from mm-hmm. forever long ago, because he's like, why would you need multiple cars? Plus, as soon as you buy a car, it decreases in in value, right? Most mm-hmm. cars. As so as you drive it off the lot. It's, it costs Depreciate. less. I mean, it, yes. depre- it depreciates mm-hmm. as soon as you drive it off the lot, right? So all of these things require a certain savviness that comes with privilege. Mm-hmm. And when you don't come from a privileged place, you just say, I just want access to it. Mm-hmm. Right, so you can't fault people. You can't. I mean, I got the young jock. Young jock got to that realization, mm-hmm. but you can't fault people who are trying to navigate it. Because yeah. I want to be on one of six apart, pushing the bends. So I you go right back to <laughs> to, to uh, all falls down. Right, mm-hmm. such a such a profound statement that that song is. And this is the power, by the way, of cultural production. Mm-hmm. Right, the way that we express who we are and where our identity is subscribed. You stick on the Kanye piece. Mm-hmm. When well, My wife and I had our, our, our eldest daughter, we were driving a small little hatchback car living in New York City. So we had like a little bitty car. And my wife was like, you know, I think we need to get to, um, I think we probably need to, to get an SUV. And I, and I agreed. And we had a list of SUVs that we were considering, but there was one SUV that we would not buy. Not even, it wasn't even on the consideration set, even though empirically it performed well. Um, and that was a Toyota RAV4.
1: Why?
2: Because Kanye told us. What do you think I rap for? To push a effing rap for? <laughs> no, no. I mean, that's the power of cultural production. Like yes. it signals to us what we ought to have. Yeah. And look at the dominant cultural production of the predominant black culture.
1: Yeah,
2: is hip hop music.
1: Yeah,
2: and hip hop tells us what what's to cool wear and what what's cool to exactly. And consumption becomes a way of signaling that. Now, I don't want to. I don't want to to be sort of the the wet blanket on consumption because consumption also signals or helps us make our culture material, Mm -hmm. right? If you're a Muslim, Mm -hmm. right, you would wear a hijab Mm -hmm. as a way of of signaling. Not only, it's an outward expression of an inward belief, Mm -hmm. signaling who you are and what you believe. Like that's super powerful. And hijabs can either be created by hand or you can consume it by someone Mm -hmm. who made it by hand. Consumption in that matter or in that way makes one's culture material. And that's Mm -hmm. super powerful, right? Like I grew up watching Spike Lee movies Mm -hmm. as a kid. I consumed those Spike Lee movies, Mm -hmm. but those Spike Lee movies help give me an understanding of race relations in this country, Mm -hmm. right? So consumption isn't all bad, uh, but as they say, all, you know, anything in access can can be problematic.
1: So in your book, do you offer up solutions of what people could do? Like, one, I know there's probably solutions for brands of how they can connect to culture more effectively. But do you offer up solutions for individuals about what they can do to help self-define culture for themselves?
2: Absolutely. Okay. I mean, the idea in the book is let's get some language that we all can describe this thing mm-hmm. that we're that we experiencing, whether we know it or not. Um, and if we have some language, then we probably understand the mechanisms that are a part of it. And with that, with the ability to pinpoint these mechanisms, we are now empowered to do something about it, to leverage them in powerful ways, whether you're a practitioner or an individual navigating uh, uh, this, this cultural landscape that, that we live in. And particularly thinking about the stories that we are told, the stories that we tell ourselves, um, and then how we use those stories uh, to 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 make sense of the world around us, I do this exercise with my students um, here at the University of Michigan. You know, I have them do a media uh, diet inventory, mm. where I tell them to think about all the shows, all the movies you have watched in the last three months. I write them down, um, and then identify who is the main character. Okay. What's their age, their race, their gender, their their origins. Who are they? Right? Um, and then look at the the antagonist, the villain, mm. their rage, their race, their mm-hmm. gender, their origins, their ethnicities. right? Um, and then what are the stories that are told about each one of them? And then do the same for the stories that you tell, what you post, what you don't post, what you post about, and who is the main character in those posts. right? And as you, you put those two things together, you start to ask yourself, oh man, the stories that I tell about myself, about mm-hmm. who I am and how I fit in this world is oftentimes informed by and shaped by the stories that I ingest, the media diet that mm-hmm. I consume. And, and if those things be the case, if those things seem to be uh, incongruence, which they mostly are, at least mm-hmm. in, in my with my students, then you tell yourself, okay, I need to start taking in different media. Mm-hmm. listen to different stories. Watch different things, listen to different things, so that uh, my worldview might be shaped differently because of what I ingest. So it's like you are what you eat, literally. That's right. Mm -hmm. Literally, literally, (laughs) Mm -hmm. 1000%. Um, And as a result, that gives us agency. Mm -hmm. It gives us lots of agency to say, okay, I'm not going to take that in. I'm not going to take this in, right? You know, I'm going to protect my space and protect my peace. And by doing so, um, that means getting rid of things that could potentially be harmful to me.
1: Mm. It's, it's funny, because I so I am Nigerian. Both of my parents were born and raised in Nigeria. I was born in Newark, New Jersey, Brick City, stand up. There you go, holla. <laughs> um, but um, I remember the first time I went to Nigeria, I think I was 21 right after college. And I was so shocked at what my cousins in Nigeria thought what America was like. Mm-hmm. It was a caricature. And I remember thinking like, this can't be what, what you guys think. And then you see what, That my mom was like, well, of course they think this, because how else would they know? They're watching and consuming the media that's pushed out about black Americans. That's right. And I was like, it just never, because, you know, I'm living here. So I'm like, I can see what the reality is that there is a, you know, we're not a monolith. There's so many different types of people. But if all you ever watch are like the robber, the gangster, the, you know, is, uh, is black. And the thing I just couldn't believe because I'm like, but in my mind i'm like we all look alike and it's like <laughs> yeah but in, Black, in america it seems like everybody is so terrible and i just thought wow that's what that was the first time that it hit me yeah. that it's not just it's just a movie it's yeah. not because okay. this is what we're showing the world what to believe about us and so yeah it was just like really like mind-blowing
2: the literature refers to what you just experienced is uh public pedagogy mm-hmm. it's how we learn about other people without experiencing them for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And we learn about them through the media that we consume. Mm-hmm. And as a result, we create these frames around who those people are. Mm-hmm. That's how you get stereotypes. Like you get these frames around who these people are. For instance, I went to, to uh, Austria for the first time last year. Okay. And when I got there, I was really uncomfortable. Because the whole time I was thinking about, yo, Nazis were up and down this place. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, they were they resisted for sure, but like Nazis were up and down this place. And I just felt so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And in that split second, I realized, oh man, if I were coming to United States, I would be super uncomfortable too. Mm-hmm. It's like y'all enslaved people. <laughs> Y'all were hanging people from these trees mm-hmm. not that long ago, mm-hmm. by the way. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is what y'all was doing. It was a part of your normal cultural practice. It was acceptable, yes. right? And and as a result, I go, man, I'm, I'm over here, you know, feeling uncomfortable in a certain way about Austrians. When they come to States, they probably feel a certain way about us. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing is that, you know, we are all a villain in someone's story. Depending on the stories that are told about us, mm-hmm. and the idea is that if we want the world to take different shape, then we have to change the way that we see the world, mm-hmm. and oftentimes that requires us hearing new stories and telling ourselves new stories, mm-hmm. um, because as a result, the uh, the the world change accordingly.
1: My my therapist calls that corrective experiences.
2: Yeah, exactly. I you like know, that. yeah. She was
1: just like, you know, you you believe, you know. The experience has told you when you are 10 years old, when I go here, this happens. When I go here, this happens. And it's like, yeah, that actually wasn't true. They weren't really related. You know, maybe like every time you wake up, you know, you sneeze and you think, oh, I must be allergic to waking up. But that's not, not really true until right. you get older and you are not sneezing when you wake up. Maybe you had a hamster when you were a kid. Yeah. And it was he was sneezing because there actually was an animal in the room. But That's a corrective right. experience will show you, like, I wake up and I didn't sneeze. I wake up and I didn't sneeze. So then the new experiences teach you that this is the new, this is the new norm. This is the new belief. And so, so I just wanted to pivot and talk about like because I have my own business. I have a several businesses, and I'm curious as to you know with your lens what brands are getting it right when it comes to like connecting to culture across the board like what brands do you see that you're like this is what they're they're getting it right and i mean i don't know how comfortable you feel but what brands are not getting it right <laughs> and why <laughs> you know,
2: the brands that get it right are the brands who have a point of view about the world okay right if we think about I me mean, you, you you just nailed it when you talked about um um the, the idea of of perspective, mm-hmm. right? Like nice Nain says it this way, that things aren't the way they are, they are the way that we are, mm. right? That is the world manifests based on how you see the world. Mm. So if you change your worldview, the world will change, mm. right? And it's no surprise that culture is anchored in our identity and the foundation of culture is our beliefs, mm. our ideologies, right? And because of our beliefs and ideologies, we show up in the world a certain way. We dress a certain way. We act a certain way. We talk a certain way. And we express our cultural subscription through the cultural production that we take in, which I talk in great, great length um, in the book. Mm-hmm. So which brands fare the best? The brands that fare the best are the ones that are congruent with the beliefs that people have. Okay. That is, I wear this brand. I use this brand, not only because of what it is functionally, but what it says about who I am. Mm. that it becomes a shortcut to my identity, mm. right? So the most powerful brands are the brands with the point of view about the world, okay. right? They become, those identity marks, we talked about earlier, there's identity mark that signal luxury mm. and those things are fluid based on what is considered luxurious, right? Like, Five years ago, Supreme was the thing. Mm-hmm. Now, not so much. Right? Mm-hmm. Supreme isn't doesn't is considered luxury uh, uh, streetwear as much as it once was. Mm-hmm. Right. You have the long-standing ones like you know uh, Louis Vuitton, uh, mm-hmm. Gucci that stick around quite longer. But the ones that are most powerful are the ones that become extensions of my identity. Okay. Take Nike for instance. Nike believes that every human body is an athlete. That's what it believes. At its core, that we're all athletes, big, small, short, tall, we're all athletes. And as a brand, Nike helps people realize their best athletic self. So when I'm tying up my Nikes before my run, even though I am not a good athlete, I was a swimmer, not a runner. (laughs) I still, I kind of feel like I could do this thing Mm -hmm. because of the thoughts and the the feelings that are evoked when I engage with the brand Nike. Even we see this with with human beings, Beyonce. Mm -hmm. Beyonce is an artist. She's an, a singer, a dancer, a performer, an actress, a entrepreneur, a mogul. She has all these different hyphens. Mm-hmm. That's what she does. Mm-hmm. What does Beyonce believe in? Women's empowerment. Yes. And she's been about that since day one. Mm-hmm. Beyonce has transcended her category as being an artist, as being an entertainer. And she operates at the ideological level mm-hmm. of being about women's empowerment, which opens her up to do whatever Ever. she wants to yes. do. She's not bound by the confines of being a musical artist. Mm -hmm. She is liberated by her point of view of the world. And the people who support Beyonce is just because her music is good, and it is, Mm -hmm. right? It's because they see the world the way she does. Yes, Oh, I love that. And being a Beyonce fan becomes a way of signaling who I am. Mm.
1: It's true, the first concert I went to, um, I can't remember if it was like her lemonade tour or whatever, I remember being like, this feels like a women impairments conference.
2: That's right.
1: And literally, I remember thinking like, it's just me. I felt, I left feeling like I went to a conference and I could do anything and I could accomplish anything. And I'm like, this woman is just singing and dancing. But I didn't, <laughs> I literally felt like, yo, I'm going to take over the world. That's right. And so, no, I love that. And I know those are great examples of like brands that get it right. And, and so she's be- been
2: doing that since like, no, no, no. Pay my Mm -hmm. bills, survivor, uh, irreplaceable to the left, who runs the world, girls, uh, um, uh, uh, all the single ladies, uh, all the way to you're gonna break my soul. I mean, she has Mm -hmm. been on that since day one. You talk about brand authenticity and Mm -hmm. consistency. My goodness, she's been there. So it means for brands then, for brands who want to be the best version of themselves, it means identifying what do I believe? How do Mm -hmm. I see the world? And then how do I manifest that in the way that I show up in the world, whether it's my products or my messaging as well?
1: No, I love that. So the brands that don't get it right, these are the ones who've kind of lost their way and don't and, and forgotten what they what why they started and, and what they believed in. You these know? Because I wonder like why do brands on... go from like the highest of high and then they're like
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, so these are the brands that focus on value propositions. They okay. focus on my razor sharper, my battery lasts longer, my car mm-hmm. goes faster. And you could be at the top so long as you got the fastest, you know, the fastest uh, uh, car, mm-hmm. your battery lasts the longest. But as soon as there is a longer lasting battery, yes. boom, you shot dead. Yeah. Right. That's how we go from being massive highs to to dramatic lows.
1: I think about like even now, now with like this fast fashion. Uh, before Sheen, there was um, oh, what was that company name? I can't even remember, but they were huge. It was <laughs> Fashion, Nova. <laughs> yeah, no, Fashion Nova. No, Fashion Nova, remember? They were huge. But it was because we sell the cheapest clothes. That's right. You know, for de- like decent value clothes for for really inexpensive, you know, like for 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 the for the lowest price. And then here comes Sheen, we're even lower. And even That's now right. I just was reading this article that Sheen, there's this new one called Temu. That mm-hmm. is overtaking Sheen and it's, yeah. it's the fastest downloading app right now in the Apple store. And so to your point, there's no point of view there. They're just, we sell the cheapest clothes and someone's like, well, then we can sell even cheaper.
2: That's right. Mm. I talk about this in the book. I call it the, the razor blade conundrum. Mm. It's that I sh- I sell a shaver that has two blades. And someone goes, "Oh, well, I shall sell a a shaver that has three blades, so Mm -hmm. the shave is closer." Someone goes, "Oh, I want a closer shave." Somebody three blades. Then I go, "Well, wait a minute. Well, mine has four blades and it vibrates." (laughs) And someone says, "Well, mine has five blades and it vibrates and excretes aloe vera lotion." And before long, there are eighty-five blades on the shaver. (laughs) There's nothing left that we can add to 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 continue innovation. Mm -hmm. So what do we have to do? Drop the price. Mm. Now we're in commodity land. Mm-hmm. Like this is what happens. I mean, I remember growing up, uh, there was no pizza chain better than uh, Pizza Hut growing mm-hmm. up. Pizza Hut was like the pinnacle. We, we get Pizza Hut? Okay, <laughs> mom, okay, dad. <laughs> like really excited about that, right? Little Caesar says, oh, all pizza is $5 mm, about. I remember that ready. time. Boom, you cut the entire, you cut the legs off of the yeah. entire industry yeah. and prices just drop. Yeah. Now it's a complete commodity. Yeah. Right? Like it's just like whatever is the cheapest yep. within, you know, a certain consideration set of, of you know, similar taste or or yes. similar uh, uh, perceived value. But otherwise, man, like we're just competing on how many pepperoni you could put on the pizza, <laughs> where, you know, how much cheese you can have on it mm-hmm. and what the price is like that is bad news bears yeah these brands don't stand for anything and we know this intuitively because we go the brand stands for something but what we mm-hmm. really mean is the brand stands in for something mm-hmm. something meaningful some ideology beyond what they do
1: i love this this is awesome so marcus where can people get your book for the culture where is it available where, th- where can they get it what site what places
2: it's available where all books are sold so mm-hmm. online you can go to the amazons of the world the barnes nobles of the world um or you can go to my website uh, mark to the c m a r c t o t h e c dot com uh, and it can direct you to stores there as well,
1: okay. And, um, no, I just want to thank you. Is there anything that we didn't cover? We'll, we'll, we'll put your role for you guys listening. We'll put the link to his book in the show notes so you guys can go ahead and grab yourself a copy. I suggested, especially if you, so many of our listeners, you know, are interested in, um, business or starting a business, but also too, if you're looking to shift the way you think about money and how you and your family navigate so you can see like, Oh, I actually don't have to behave in this way as it relates to my personal finances or my business. Um, so, anything I didn't say, anything you want to share with the people as a last parting gift for us?
2: I mean, you 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 hit on so many so much richness, and the last will be this: is that the world is not objective; it's subjective, mm. right? Things aren't the way they are; they are the way that we are. And if we want to change our world, and we want to change the world around us. And we just got to see the world differently. And it starts with changing our perspective.
1: I love that. Because it just lets you know that like you get to decide. So right. yay. Thanks. So we had awesome guests. See Mandy. I've been doing good We you're not here. Because Mandy's a journalist, you know. So she's usually like, you know, the lead or whatever. But you know, without Mandy, I'm still here. Um, <laughs> so I just want to say thank you so much for coming. All the links are going to be in the show notes to everybody. And just like, I hope you stay connected, Marcus. We want to hear more about your book.
0: My absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Hey, BA fam, we could not do this show without your support or the support of our team behind the scenes. The Brown Ambition podcast is produced by Imani Crosby and Dennis Stemplinski is our in-house tech guru. I and your co-host, Mandy Woodruff-Santos, and we will see y'all next week, BA fam